Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Sam, Michael, J.J., how you guys doing? Doing well. Yes. How about you, Tim? Yes. The answer is yes. (laughs) You know what? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to be talking to you guys. I'm excited to be here. You are not. I am. You are not. That was too formal. Okay. Well, I'm informally... Just, Please just be, be honest. Here. I'm okay, you know. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, feeling a little bit not as good as I was earlier. But you know, let's just get to this. Okay, okay. But, no, that's what I was saying. You should say. Well, you obviously know me better than I know myself. Okay, <laughs> Michael, that's a warning. Sign. You, you, I'm not saying you yeah. can't be actually as good a mood as you always seem to be in, but you're, you're just always you're too perfect, dude. No, man, I'm not. You just don't see. Although your hair's not perfect anymore. No, I've got kind of a mohawk thing going on. It's not right kind now. of a mohawk. That is a mohawk. <laughs> and let's just say it's high and tight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I won a costume party last if, night. If we had this on video, the bot radio listeners would quit listening. They would, but it's all going to grow back, so it'll be okay. It's for a costume party, so you're good. Yes, and I won first place because it's totally against my personality to have a mohawk. Yeah. So I went mohawk, so I'd win first place. Yeah, and for all of our <laughs> Listeners are wondering what that looks like. It's a little bit like Chuck Liddell in a button-up collar shirt. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Oh, Welcome man. to Theology Unplugged. <laughs> That's right. That's Speaking right. of that, what are we talking about? Yeah, so we are talking about predestination today. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to choose people? And we're in probably one of the chapters of the Bible that have caused probably more passionate disagreement than probably most chapters of the Bible. So, J.J., would you take us into Romans chapter 9? Oh, I don't even know what we're supposed to be reading. You well, I think we're, spot. you know, how about the, the double predestination? That'd be a good, the best place. So you're, to... you're doubling down on it? I, I am doubling okay. down. So what does double predestination mean as opposed to just predestination? Are we talking to me now? Yeah. Well, you, you know, we're, there's... There's the problem. I mean, we could we could deal with the problem of predestination and the difficulties there in Romans chapter nine and other places. But whenever you're talking, and, and probably most people have heard of the word predestination or election, and many times they'll cringe whenever they hear that. So basically, God chooses who goes to heaven. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Chooses. Well, not only that, everybody believes God predestines and God. Um, elects. Okay, yeah. So even an Arminian will say, I believe God chooses. But what our Arminian would say is God looks into the future, knows who will trust in Jesus, uh, then backs out, zooms out, and says, these people are predestined. That's is right. that right? From a well-known Arminian preacher I heard years ago said, it's like a parade. God can see the end of the parade, the beginning of the parade, and he looks down through the annals of history, and he knows what choice you're going to make, and he elects you on the basis of that choice. What you just said, Tim, is really important. Our listeners need to hear Thanks, that. Thanks, JJ. It makes many, me many okay. Arminians that, that I've talked to, and by the way, I was one for most of my life, so I'm not speaking from a place of pride. I hated um, the view that you're going to hear today. I thought uh, it was offensive. It was offensive to me. So uh, if you're already offended, stay with us. Don't turn off the radio and ask yourself if you're offended because you feel like you have rights 
that are being trampled. You know, listen with an open mind to the things things we say. But well, Tim made a great point. Every Bible-believing Christian believes in election. We're really just having a discussion about on what basis God elects people. Well, okay. Michael thought he made the point. <laughs> no, I, just, no. I just clarified it and made it sound more beautiful. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Michael's going, I, for I the am, record, I, um, everybody, that I said the thing that was smart. I am totally confused. Are we talking about predestination, election, or are we focusing in on the issue of double predestination. Well, I mean, it's all in the same camp, right? We're, I know, but how can we, we cover wanna... both? I mean, well, the, the the issue is is that um, our Arminian brothers and sisters, and we do regard them as brothers and sisters uh, within the family. And of I faith. think we threw out that term Arminian without really yeah, much explanation. Well, right? James Arminius, um, second generation reformer, um, died in I think what about 1609, I believe, somewhere along in there. Um, was a disciple of uh, Theodore Beza, who was uh, kind of the systematizer of Calvin's thought. Arminius basically argued, as Tim just said, that yes, God elects, but it's based on his foreknowledge or his foresight of who will, by free act of faith, believe in Jesus. Um, Those of us at this table believe in unconditional election, uh, that if God's election was based on what he foresaw we would do, nobody gets chosen because we all live in constant and uh, willful rebellion against the gospel. And there's scripture, no one seeks God, no, not one. You're, you've been saved by faith, not by works, so that no one could boast. And you could potentially boast that, hey, I'm so glad that God looked into the future and played a country music song. Are you trying to bring up an illustration here? In your, you know what? This, are we this, play could, it? this could make a good country music song, actually. So JJ was like, yeah. folks, JJ uh, technical, has technical difficulties. JJ has uh, twin boys, and he doesn't sleep well at night. So uh, JJ's a little bit like a, Sometimes we get a little too unplugged. <laughs> yeah. Michael told you to turn off your cell phone before we started, and JJ disobeyed. No, That's, JJ's just getting out trying something. trying to look up something to edify our listeners. This is, here, folks, this is why. That's what we mean by unplugged. <laughs> That's right. JJ was plugged in. The rest of us were unplugged. All right, let's get back to serious matters here. Well, So the question is, what is the flip side? If God chooses by a sovereign free act of his uh, gracious will those who shall inherit eternal life, what about those whom he does not choose? So did God choose people to go to hell? Right. Or did he simply allow them to go their way? Or was there some active decree uh, with regard to those whom he passes over. And uh, theologians have called that active decree reprobation or the notion of rejection. He chooses some to inherit eternal life and he rejects others. And that is, that's where people really cringe. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people can live with the notion of unconditional election, but the idea of rejection is so hard to swallow, and that's why we need to pause and define our terms so, and figure out if that's really what the Bible teaches. So is it fair to say predestination from a non-Arminian sense, predestination means that— Like Calvinist, that, Calvinist. Calvinist sense. The predestination means that God predetermines who will come to Jesus apart from their actions. So he just chooses some people, and that's it. But he, yeah, he, yeah, he yes, just, but it's not, it's, not a, it's not a random choosing. It's not a— um, uh, like something where he's flipping a coin. There yeah. is reason why God chose who he chose, but it does. it's not found in the chosen. And we don't know. We'll never know those reasons. Those are, yeah. those are God's reasons, right? The, the secret, secret reasons, the secret will of God. So that's just predestination, period, boom, it's over. Yeah. Uh, but double predestination then says everything that we've said so far, we still believe about predestination, but the double means that in addition to him predestining people to heaven, then he is also choosing people to go to hell for his own reasons. Yes, reason. but it gets deeper than that okay. as well sometimes. So what's, what's another layer deeper than that? 
that. Well, you know, the, the, you guys know how this spectrum works. I mean, you've got the spectrum on the issues of Reformed theology, and and the deeper you go or the further you go to the right into Reformed theology, there's there's lots of things that are that are Reformed. And when we talk about double predestination, reprobationism, we're not saying that this is the true Reformed position. This is, if you're really a Calvinist, this is what you should take. Not at all. But there are some people who, whenever they do talk about predestination, they talk about it not only in the sense, and listen to this, guys, this is, this is the pl- place where it gets kind of crazy, is that not only in the sense did God choose who's going to heaven or who's going to be mine and then who is going to be eternally damned, but listen to this. One more layer is this, that this was before he created them. This was He, he chose, okay, I'm going to make Bob here. And I, um, Bob's going to go to heaven. Even though I won't physically make him for maybe uh, 10,000 years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's just in my mind. And then I'm going to – and the, the concept of making people. Okay. And then I'm going to make Sue here, and she's going to go to hell. And then the next step that he has uh, sometimes that people see – is that he has to create now a way for them to get to hell and to get to heaven. So he kind of first starts with like, man, I, I want Sue to go to hell, so how can I orchestrate human history to happen so that she gets there? Yeah, and what? so just so we can throw in a real fancy term here, what you just described is what is known as supralapsarianism. Yes, man, that is the, like, if you're in a did, party. Did our people just turn off the party, radio yeah. dial? <laughs> like, whenever I'm at a party and I'm like, you know what, I want these people to think that I'm really, really smart. <laughs> what kind gonna, of party is this, first oh, of all? Oh, <laughs> man, it's, it's the parties I like to go to, yeah. the ones where I'm there by myself because no one else wants to be there. Yeah, just uh, use superlapsarian, you'll empty the room. Yeah, you'll empty the room really fast and people will never be around you and you can never share Jesus with them. So so keep this uh, this is internal but superlapsarianism is this idea that he is he is creating people for hell and then to create, lapse to fall to, supra before and then ensuring that the world happens in a way that it actually happens. Yeah. And to clarify to put all that in plain English is the idea that Hey, we don't so need to worry about that. Did, Let's just keep did going. Did God on. literally just create a bunch of people to go to hell? Is that is that what Scripture is teaching? That God said, okay, I'm going to create you to go to hell. That's my whole purpose and intention in creating you. That, that is, and that is superlapsarianism. And that is, I'm not saying that that is always what people, if you believe in double predestination, you're always a superlapsarian, but that that is the, the depth that it yes, goes to. Clarify, so he has and to, to clarify, some esteemed evangelicals like G.I. Packer despise superlapsarianism and would go into great length explaining why they don't believe it's biblical. And, 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 and even Sam, some people would argue that Edwards despised superlapsarianism. I despise superlapsarianism. I don't believe. As do I. I. I don't believe it either. So let 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 me just say something. Some people are hearing us and are really getting uncomfortable. I want to just want to go on the record. I want to say this. Nobody goes to hell except those who deserve to. Nobody goes to hell except those who deserve to. So Would from, from the like outside. From C.S. The, Lewis's statement that the gates of hell are locked from the inside, like people almost want to be there because they don't want to be what's on the outside? Yeah, I mean, I understand, I understand that point. But I, th- I think uh, of even greater significance is we need to uh, understand from the beginning, and I think we would all agree with this. If, if you don't, chime in and tell me you disagree, that reprobation or the rejection of individuals is an act of justice. It's not an arbitrary decision irrespective of the beliefs or the behavior or the moral condition of people. When God chooses to reject or when he chooses 
uh, to pass over. It's an act of justice. He's giving people what they deserve. He is not coercing or creating people uh, solely for the purpose of consigning them to eternal damnation. Can we say that on the radio? Well, yeah, you just oh, did, yeah, just did. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Um, he, that when people stand before the great white throne judgment, nobody will be able to raise their hand and say, objection, your honor. Um, this act by which you are now consigning me to eternal separation from you is unjust because it was made, this decision of yours was made without regard to my actions or my moral state. We're not saying that. We believe that, as mysterious as it may be, that when God uh, consigns an individual to eternal condemnation, they deserve it. It is an act of justice. So nobody, some get mercy, um, others get justice, nobody gets injustice. Could you say that Luke chapter 16 with the story of the rich man Lazarus shows that, how when the rich man is in Hades, he's not asking to get out of there. He's, it seems like he is consigned to his fate, and then he's asking simply that other people would not come here. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about using that passage on it to think about it a little bit more. But I, There I, was a long pause there. Yeah, beforehand. there was. Yeah, We're having kind a, of this, this gracious, yeah, uh, yeah okay. I've never heard such a stupid <laughs> statement, but I guess so. And, and, I hope, and I hope our listeners are tracking with what you're saying. It goes back to what I said earlier. If you feel offended, it's probably because you have a deep inner sense that you're owed something or your rights are being trampled on. And Sam just made the very elegant point that be very, very careful. You don't want to demand of God what's owed to you. Well, yeah. well wait a minute, Sam and guys. Here's the difficulty, though, okay? Because Sam just clarified what well, we made it at least to where the people who are in hell are there by their own offense, by their own rejection of God. But in the sense of double predestination, or let's just talk about this passage rather than talking about it as a doctrine, because here's sure. the problem passage is in Romans chapter 9, after he has talked about um, hardening Pharaoh's heart and, and having mercy on who he wills, it says in verse 19 uh, or 18 of Romans chapter 9, it says, so then he has mercy on whomever, or 18, on whomever he wills, yeah, and he well, hardens whomever he wills. Yeah. And then right after that, the, the objector, the imaginary objector comes in and says, um, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Now, here's the problem passage. Yeah. Here's the difficulty. Is it says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will the molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? And, and I might say, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, it seems like the molder should be able to say, I mean, this is the way you made me. It's, I mean, I'm a rejecter of God, so why do you still find fault? And then it says, has the potter no right over the clay to make of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? So getting back to our illustration, God creating people, he says, I'm going to create this one for honorable use, heaven, and this one for hell. What if God, in verse 22, desiring to show his wrath to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of, of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of the glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared before him for glory. So the idea here is God has prepared certain people for destruction. So right. is this, the Sam, we would, in, in one sense, whenever you're talking about this, and I would agree with you, 
uh, I would utterly reject the idea that God created people with the intent or the damned with the intent to send them to hell and then created the fall as a means by which to get them to hell. I think right. that, that is that. Well, the, the question, Michael, you've raised is very, is very important. Um, I think in verse 21, when he says the same lump, uh, so he, he's drawn an analogy. He's saying humanity that God has created is like this lump of clay. And God takes it and he pulls it apart and he separates some and he molds that clay into vessels that will receive mercy and glory. And the other um, he consigns to destruction. And the question is, are we talking about a fallen lump? And I think the answer personally is yes. When he talks about the lump, I think we are to understand fallen mankind, humanity in rebellion, um, deserving of damnation. Uh, This lump is not some neutral uh, entity, as it were. And God then says, all right, I'm going to create some of you in such a way that you'll become bad and I'll condemn you for it. And I'm going to create the others in such a way that um, although you're bad, I will set you apart for salvation. I think that the lump of clay here is is the fallen mass of humanity in Adam. And the whole lump deserves hell. That's what what we have to remember. The whole lump deserves hell. And God, in sovereign mercy, in order to, as he says down in verse 22 and 23, in order to manifest the riches of his glory and his grace in Christ, decides not to consign one hell-deserving portion of the lump uh, to eternal condemnation, but to set them apart, to save them, to bring them to faith in Jesus. The other hell-deserving portion of this lump of clay has no claim on grace, cannot protest and say, you've treated me unfairly or unjustly. They receive what they justly and uh, deserve to experience. So that's how I would understand and, the and passage. And it's not a solving of the difficulty, guys, really. I mean, it's solving of this difficulty, I think. But it's not as if, oh, predestination is easy now. You well, know? let's yeah. have some clarity on this because no Bible-believing Christian thinks hell is going to be empty. Mm-hmm. The question we're asking is, why won't God empty hell? And the Arminian's going to answer, because more than an empty hell, well, God values uh, the protection and preservation of libertarian free will, right? Yeah. And, and the Calvinist is going to give a different answer for why God won't empty hell. Neither one of us thinks hell will be empty. Yeah, well, and I think if if an Arminian, here's my challenge, if an Arminian says, well, the reason that people are in hell is because they did not choose God, then the challenge with someone that holds to a a Calvinist view of predestination is that the flip side of that then is that you say, well, then why are you in heaven? And you'd say, well, because I chose God. That's why I'm in heaven. And, uh, you know, at the base of it is that, yes, he chose me, but it was after he saw me choose him. I actually had a guy say that to me the other night, and I don't like using these terms right now. Sorry, guys. I don't like using these terms of Arminian and Calvinism because I think it it, it may make our audience place and say, oh, they're talking about those groups. But just different ways of looking at predestination. We'll we'll use the terms A and C. (laughs) So listen listen, listen to this. Listen to this, though. (laughs) The the other day I I was talking to a guy. I kid you not. uh, I was talking to him about the gospel, and he comes and he's— he says, you know what, here's the deal is that that whenever I get to heaven, and he was talking about uh, unconditional election and how much he couldn't stand it and didn't like it and how offensive it was to him that he didn't have his own choice. He said, when we get into heaven, at least God has said 
that I want you guys to do this little bit. You know, I'll do most of it, but I'm going to do this little bit. You have to work this little bit, and that is your responsibility. So ultimately, you're here because of this little bit you did, mm-hmm. and that, that's the way he viewed things. Well, but uh, Can I just quote your guy? He said because he didn't have his own choice. Mm-hmm. Of course he does. Mm-hmm. Of course he does. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't want anybody to hear us saying that um, somebody is in hell contrary or in violation of their choice. No, they're not. They're there precisely because they have no place in their heart for the fear of God. They have no desire to repent. They despise the gospel. They despise Jesus. They would much prefer to languish in their sin than to bow the knee before the Son of God. And that is their choice, and God didn't coerce it. God didn't create it. That is their morally responsible decision. Um, Now, why are some in heaven then? And the answer is because God chose in his sovereign mercy to so sovereignly and mysteriously work in us that he awakens in us by the miracle of regeneration a love for Jesus that we didn't have before. He gives us the eyes to see his beauty when before he was ugly. So very. I just want to go on record here. I want to say this very clearly. Divine election unto eternal life, I believe, is unconditional. It's dependent solely upon God's sovereign good mercy. Mm. Reprobation unto eternal condemnation is conditional. In other words, these two decrees, if I can use another big word, are not symmetrical. They are asymmetrical. They are grounded in different realities. Election is grounded in the mercy of God. Uh, Reprobation is grounded in the justice of God. And one is based upon the, 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 the choices of human beings to repudiate the gospel. The other is based upon God's sovereign free will and his desire to bring many sons to glory for the sake of his son. And, and you know, guys, having said that, and I think we all agree with what Sam was saying, but it's not, whenever I look at that, I, I don't know why he chose who he chose. Yeah. It is, it is in the secret will of God. Has, all I know is it has nothing to do with us. But I also don't know why he didn't choose everybody. Well, there, there is a difficulty that I have personally in my theology, and maybe the first question I ask God is say, you love everybody, and I don't know why you didn't choose everybody. So I don't know why in this passing over, which I agree, there was no act of damnation that he said in a double predestination sense, I'm choosing you to go to hell. Actually, I'm going to argue with you, Michael. Okay. Just for, as we close here, I think you, you, just a moment ago, you read two verses that answer your question that I think give the closest explanation to that question of anywhere else in the Bible. It's Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. Let's look at it again. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power? So here's God said, I have a desire. It is in my heart to make known my wrath, my holiness, my, my reaction against sin. Therefore, he endures with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Why? Why does he not take those vessels of wrath that are prepared for destruction and somehow work so as to make them vessels of mercy? And the answer is, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. So I understand what you're saying. I have the same question. I don't know why God didn't choose everybody for life. The only answer I have is right there. It's because God, in his infinite wisdom, determined that he wanted to make known the reality of his holiness and his wrath 
as well as the magnificence of his mercy and his kindness. And this is the only way it could so, be done. So you're saying both give him glory. Yes. Or both may, so then for you then, would it matter if you're in heaven or hell because God gets the glory either way from your life? Yes, it does. It matters <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, I, I would rather give So it. I kind of feel like that's a, you know, it, that's a biblical response, but in some ways it doesn't make it easier no, because no, 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 no. you're still it, struggling yes. with sure. like... Sure, I'm not saying that it's easier. People? I'm simply saying that when Michael asked the question, mm-hmm. why did God pass over some and choose others. Those two verses are the closest thing closest that we have we to an get, answer. But it's, it's not very... necessarily the closest thing that we say to being like our audience. You should be really satisfied. Yeah. It's really it's, that's it, being yeah. very yeah. careful here. Sam's point was not that we should now be calloused about the lost. What Paul, who wrote these words, is the one who said, I would rather be accursed than see my brothers be lost. Yeah. The point is not that we can now then shut our hearts to the reality of hell. Yeah. The point is that we've put God in the dock and we're cross-examining him. And Paul stands up and says, you're in the dock, not God. That's the point. The point is that we're cross-examining God. Are you plagiarizing C.S. Lewis's metaphor? That's right. And asking him if he's just and good and wise. And Paul is saying, you bet he is. Hey, listen, we've got one more minute. I do want to say this about this passage. You want to get the last word. I I do. I I always try to. But listen to this. Whenever I look at this passage, that is the problem passage that we're looking at. Whenever it says, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. If you were to take that verse, and I want all of our listeners to do this maybe afterwards, take that verse, put it out, then draw it, put the other verse right below it and draw out the differences where it talks about the vessels of mercy, because there are some distinct differences. And especially whenever you're reading this in the Greek, the, the differences stand out much more. Because in verse 22, it says, Um, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared. In the previous verse, it didn't say he has prepared them. It just said they were prepared. And that goes with Sam's neutral. uh, It's not a neutral lump of clay. They are prepared for destruction, self-prepared. But in this one, he prepares them. And then one more word I want you to notice, beforehand for glory. Beforehand is not here. Uh, the, the idea of before time, God chooses those vessels of mercy, but in time, the vessels of wrath are self-prepared for destruction. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mentioned that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.